an open letter to school boards across the USA from an epidemiologist and teacher. I am currently employed within the state of Maryland on a conditional teaching license at a local middle school as a mathematics teacher. I was born in this county. I went to elementary school, middle school, and then finally graduated salutatorian from the local high school here. I have since earned two collegiate degrees, a bachelor in science in chemistry, biochemistry from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is ranked as the fifth best public school in the nation, and a master of public health and epidemiology from the University of Florida, ranked as the sixth best public school in the nation. I'm also a nationally certified epidemiologist by the National Board of Public Health Examiners and Emergency Medical First Responder. I began my teaching career this past January and have simultaneously been employed by the state of Florida on coronavirus contractually as my schedule permits and my teaching takes priority all summer. So I'm writing on behalf of the decision to reopen schools, both within my state and nationally. Frankly, I think the decision to reopen is reckless, improper, and asking and expecting far too much of teachers. Teaching is supposed to be about education. When a teacher is employed, they're agreeing to devote their time and energy towards empowering others through education. They are teaching the youth and future leaders what principles for ethics and morality to hold, what societal priorities they should value. Right now, in the middle of a global pandemic and national election that very may well have a drastic effect on coronavirus response, only one to two months after our rushed reopening is currently scheduled for in my state, we're instilling the values that one's ability to achieve some arbitrary goals on standardized tests before they turn 18 is more important than the physical and mental health of both themselves and the community. Instead of teaching healthy study behaviors, facilitating more philosophical thought, ways to encourage communal protection, even encouraging creativity through STEM designs aimed at addressing communal issues relevant to the pandemic, we're, we instead want to crowd hundreds of students, of youth, of children, into poorly ventilated buildings whose space is insufficient to even promote social distancing or desks six feet apart. We could be using this time to educate students on how to be more aware and prepared within your local community, using this pandemic as an example for shaping communal values and national pride. Instead, I have relatively no actual voice in the matter and am forced or required back into my classroom as early as November 2nd if I want to keep my current source of income and, more importantly, health insurance in our current global situation. Never mind the fact that my very principal stated today that hospitals can't even promise proper protection or safety, so how would you expect schools to, as if that was appropriate logic for encouraging schools to reopen. 
All that statement solidified was that the school board is purposefully endangering teachers and students alike and know our community will be at a higher risk and they still don't care. My school can't even supply desks that aren't broken, dry erase markers that work, or tissues or napkins as is. Why would I ever be delusional to think the school system would be able to supply masks, hand sanitizer, soap, disinfecting spray, etc. required for appropriate CDC guidelines? Is this one more thing I'm expected to pay out of pocket for? I already have to front the money for any classes or exams for my conditional teaching license certification and the majority of classroom supplies, while only being able to claim $250 on my taxes for it. So I would love to know where this money is supposed to come from, as if I don't make less than $50,000 a year and also have student loans, a car payment, groceries, phone bills, etc. As far as behavioral issues go, we normally have multiple fights a week, if not day, and even more frequently have issues regarding being in the appropriate locations at the right time. Expecting children to enter a public school and completely alter their behavior, which again is normal for children, instead of being treated like they're at some military reform school with tightly adhered to policies, is idealistic and naive at best, idiotic at worst. You're also depending on the mindset that your employed teachers want to be in school, to put the children first. Teachers are not our frontline soldiers or healthcare workers. They did not choose to put themselves in dangerous environments, although I guess a classroom could technically count due to the increasing incidence of gun violence and poor psychotherapeutic support for children. I specifically stopped my last contract with coronavirus because of the dangerous working conditions and insu insufficient support due to the Floridian governor, so to also find it applicable in reference to education, a field which has every ability and insight to set the example and approach things with scientific fact and logic is even more frustrating. Just like how Florida tied their stimulus relief to businesses returning to normal working hours, which created bias in how willingly people were going to return to work, by the way, the Maryland School Board and those of almost every other state nationally is exploiting the empathy of teachers under the premise that this is better for the kids. Refusal to return is seen as deviant and peer pressure from other staff members encourages it to be seen as selfish instead of pragmatic. Let's actually think about the children. From an epidemiological standpoint, witnessing the reopening discussions, I feel like it's my job in particular to educate and speak on this topic. Regardless of the lack of national policy, it is not safe to return. Across the country, you're seeing case after case of teachers dying because of exposures from school reopenings. Children are becoming infected more frequently, largely due to the increased exposure from activities resuming. Severity aside, even mild cases are likely to have latent cardiovascular and respiratory health effects, which can cause significant chronic health conditions down the line. So the goal cannot be herd immunity, and we shouldn't blatantly discount the severity, regardless of how incompetent our national leaders are in handling this scenario. 
This isn't political either. We've had government protocols in place for decades to address containment of infectious diseases specifically, particularly in reference to national security measures since, you know, infectious diseases have been weaponized internationally and a concern in biochemical warfare since the 1980s, which is a discussion for another rant. But instead... We've allowed a bunch of elected bumbling science deniers who, just because they don't understand a topic, assume that it means it's a hoax, or think money is somehow worth more than physical health when you're laying six feet underground. I guess that's what happens when you get too comfortable playing and moving the pieces of people's lives like it's some type of game, though. Reopening discussions also require being pragmatic. How realistic is it that we keep the school safe? Not at all. Seeing as how our neighboring county, which many of my students have second homes and split time between, accounts for nearly 25% of our state's cases, likely the only reason my own county has been able to keep our caseload under like roughly 2.5% of the state's total cases is probably due to our agricultural emphasis and thus ability to maintain social distancing and outdoor activities. That or the poor access to adequate, regular, and affordable health care that often plagues low socioeconomic areas or a refusal to seek care even with symptoms because either they're not that serious, health care is expensive, or you just don't want to utilize the hospital's resources. Looking just at the current statistics in our country is simply not a generalizable model to extrapolate from when considering the return to school. CDC guidelines also involve parents checking their child for signs of illness each morning, avoiding having close contact with known cases, and developing plans to protect household members at increased risk for severe illnesses. How is that even possible for my students who have over three siblings at one home and three at their other home, all of whom have exponentially greater potentials for exposure and spread and likely lack the physical space for safety barriers, whose like siblings and them will all be attending separate schools exposed to a completely separate, exponentially growing field only to then bring their germs back home at the end of the day and then transferred to the other schools as well. The largest issue I've come to see while working for the school system, even before coronavirus, was the lack of communication or just like the sheer number of hours in the day to properly communicate between staff and parents as is. So how do we expect the parents to take on even more responsibility? How would we verify symptoms or temperature checks of children are being completed each morning? Or how would we expect them to not send their children to school when they have no other option or their economic livelihood is tied to one or multiple jobs that may not even provide them health insurance, barely allow them to afford the basic cost of living, and is clear that our government will not be considering additional stimulus relief and has decreased unemployment payouts for the 20.5 million Americans currently unemployed due to the very disease we are discussing. Realistically, 
Our parents send children to school sick as is, and unfortunately, we don't hold the common decency as a culture to enact mask use to protect the community, even during a pandemic. Driving around, we also have a significant amount of communal support for Trump, evident by the political yard sign wars, and thus, it can be assumed, are associated with coronavirus downplayers, deniers, and hoax fanatics. We literally had a man arrested and sentenced to a year in jail for ignoring our governor's coronavirus restrictions. And while he was the only one who made the news, he certainly isn't the only one in the community blatantly disregarding all protocol. How do we expect to be able to enforce face mask policies if ignorance or refusal to follow them because their parents discourage it? puts the disciplinary figure directly in harm's way or isn't actually enforceable. All of this is a mute point, though. As my own principal verified, he doesn't anticipate being able to ensure our safety. So our guidelines go out the window faster than Elizabeth Swan's decision in Pirates of the Caribbean to ignore the pirate code. Additionally, given that most children diagnosed with COVID-19 have been asymptomatic, Limiting communal spread, particularly in a school, or keeping them home when they've been infected, will be almost impossible. How many children's lives are you willing to have on your hands that will end up requiring hospitalization, intensive care, or ventilators? As school board members, will you even learn or remember the names of the teachers, students, and their family that end up dying because of your decision? Does your decision depend on which school in the county those children are from, aka which side of town? Asthma, diabetes, immunosuppression, and obesity are all underlying health conditions that affect almost every family in our community, putting all of those individuals at a higher risk. Never mind the potential for having to deal with the trauma of losing a loved one because of a school outbreak or the child themselves being responsible for transmitting it to their parents. Consider the psychological implications that would have over the youth in our community. Over 40% of Americans have chronic health conditions that put them at a higher risk as is. Legally requiring people, students, and staff alike to put themselves into a high-risk environment for eight hours a day that you cannot ensure protection or safety in is prioritizing the wrong things. And we can still encourage like outdoor sports, social activities, book clubs, novel ways to interact with students, either following appropriate guidelines or virtually that encourage more interaction than our current online school setup. We could also very easily identify students who are higher risk for issues like violence at home, unsafe living conditions, etc., and develop a program specifically for those to whom schools do normally offer a safe space. However, we cannot do that under the assumption that we will be increasingly returning to normal as our schools are no longer universally safe and our nationwide caseload is dramatically increasing. Next, we're going to do a dive into the national shortage of teachers. So there's already a national teacher shortage, which can reach over 200,000 by the year 2025, only further exacerbated by the coronavirus. Pay, working conditions, lack of support, and changing curriculum were already mitigating factors affecting this, all of which are even more relevant in these current conditions. 
My county often has a shortage of substitutes as is, and I personally began my position when another conditional teacher's contract ended mid-year. So how do we account for not having adequate numbers of staff? I didn't even have enough support to have a single instructional assistant required for the 14 of my 25 students who had special education IEPs or 504s for my classroom prior to March, despite being a long-term sub with no experience. So not even on a conditional teaching license at that time, yet we still didn't have the staff. And we don't anticipate an increase in early retirements dependent on this policy or increased sick leave and then deaths? How is it that we blatantly want to protect our troops, yet we don't extend the same courtesy to those educating the future generations who are now being drafted into a modern war zone? If you dislike my referencing schools as war zones in the context of a global pandemic, just wait for my next coronavirus episode. So reopening suggests that teachers and children are a loss we're willing to accept. It's also a disservice to those of us who have lost one, if not several, family members and close friends as a result, staff and student alike. It's the same as saying, well, that sucks that you had to deal with loss, even if you personally were incredibly careful for the last eight months. But You just need to mentally get it together and subject yourself to a full schedule within a high-risk building for the entirety of the school day because our arbitrary curriculum and testing standards is more important than physical and mental health. Then, what happens when teachers have to travel potentially out of state or know that they may have been exposed? When you return from another geographic region, you're supposed to isolate for two weeks. Reopening and not considering this assumes teachers won't have personal lives or doesn't account for travel considerations when taking leave or on weekends. Do we expect their classroom and students to all quarantine for the CDC recommended 14 days minimum each time this occurs? If students and teachers alike are constantly going to be quarantined or sent home for weeks at a time, Why are we even bothering this relentless back and forth that is going to ultimately increase costs of sanitation, healthcare, substitutes, and potential legal ramifications against the school board and our national government for embracing sending teachers to their potential or eventual deaths? There's also no way to nationally track the return of schools and coronavirus response either, so policies are based on anecdotal evidence as is, and given our inability as a state to roll out a policy based around clarity or being proactive this past spring, because anyone who held onto any hope of returning prior to summer clearly lacks public health policy experience or a realistic view of our nation and should not have been involved in the decision-making process. Frankly, it's alarming that we think we'd even be able to identify outbreaks as readily as they occur, especially with how interwoven our communal population is. Virginia schools statewide officially shut down almost immediately in March, and teachers felt empowered, they knew exactly what to expect, and they were able to make plans accordingly. Maryland, on the other hand, consistently left it up to, like, we'll see in due time, only furthering confusion and making guidelines more difficult to adhere to for students, staff, and families alike. 
On the topic of public policy, we're also discussing reopening in the midst of a historic national election and questionable threat to our democracy, the daily news of which is particularly overwhelming for many whose safety, financial security, housing conditions, and ability to return in this country may be dependent on. Issues the majority of our county students must seriously consider and be aware of because they're affected by these policies and don't have the opportunity to choose to not be bothered by it. Setting a progressive example for children does not involve ignoring these conditions, brushing them under the rug, and implementing a policy that may be reversed or irrelevant given the outcomes of the election just because the topic is uncomfortable and you would like us to move on. Reopening also puts our non-school community at an even more increased risk. We have over 17,000 veterans that live in my county, including several veteran care homes, many of which already have had several outbreaks. And of the 163,000 total people who live in our county, over 35% are either under 18 or over 65 years of age. The majority of members in our local community are military associations, being just outside D.C. We have the Pentagon, Dahlgren, Pax River, Indian Head, etc. We should care about the veterans and our armed service members who will subsequently be at an increased risk, even if they must continue to isolate, because maybe their caretakers, nursing staff, or household members are returning to their community roles and intermingling once more. I also want to raise concerns with the demographics of people making these administrative decisions. Of the 22 level 1 officials, admins, and managers, only 5 are either Hispanic, Black, or Asian, compromising less than one-fourth of these positions. With reference to level 2 employees, or principals, only 12 of the 38 individuals are colored. Of the seven school board members who vote on policy, though, I will acknowledge that three of those are colored, which is more appropriate representation. As our board voted five to two to reopen, I would still be curious to learn who actually cast which votes for which side, though. In my county, the total student population is roughly 56% African-American, 10% Hispanic, and 8% multiracial children. We have exactly two schools whose student populations are predominantly white. Hispanic children are roughly six times as likely to test positive, eight times as likely to require hospitalization, and black children are four times as likely to test positive and five times as likely to require hospitalization compared to white children. We do need to consider the racial demographics and clustering of populations in our area, which puts the vast majority of our children at higher risk. We also need to ensure that they're fairly represented and those factors are being considered by administration who might otherwise not be affected by these statistics and then not inherently enact policy around these additional considerations. And just one last reminder on how severe coronavirus actually is. Looking at just the duration of the illness... It's incredibly easy to downplay something you can't see or don't really understand, which is exactly why you should be automatically listening to scientists and why our country should probably not question the director of the CDC. Side note, you would be amazed at how many times I tried to explain how transmission occurred back in like March 
only to have random men from Georgia try to explain to me that droplet transmission is not included in airborne transmission, and this virus doesn't have an airborne transmission anyways. Eight months later, I really hope they remember those conversations and feel so stupid. I could easily ignore them, but petty arguments are so much more fun to devote my time to on Instagram than, like, actually having them in, like, my personal life. Plus, I only see, like, two people in my life anyways, and I crave that human interaction these days. So as a nation, we have over 217,000 deaths and nearly 8 million cases of coronavirus, all due to the refusal for our sitting president of incompetency to enact a national policy or prevent spread of misinformation. By the end of the month of October, we will increase that by over 20,000 deaths alone. Keep in mind, this is not just, just the flu. We have had more deaths in eight months than the last five flu seasons combined. We have also had more deaths than the lives that we lost in Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, and World War I combined. Remember all those veterans I referenced earlier? My county has lost over 100 individuals, and our immediately neighboring county has lost almost 900 people, which is significant for our small state and impacts a very tangled web of a community. With over one-fourth of cases being asymptomatic, it's particularly difficult to stress the reality of what severe cases look like. Fevers, chills, body aches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, chest pain, confusion, the physical inability to wake, bluish lips and face or difficulty breathing, feeling fine for several days even with a positive diagnosis, and then suddenly rushing to the ER only to not make it in time. What happens when a child's symptoms onset in school and their peers watch their faces turn blue, gasping desperately for air, only to realize they may also meet the same fate? Nationwide mental health is being thrown into a global stage, Increased rates of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts are common, which we do need to account for in children. In the United States, suicide is the 10th leading cause of death overall, and is the second leading cause of death for individuals between the age of 10 and 34. Maybe, just maybe though, we should be re-examining exactly what we're distracting children's minds with and instead not add potentially negative or questionable grades and the subsequent stress associated with getting good grades into that, though. Let's just look at the pandemic atmosphere as a whole. NPR recently shared psychological data of U.S. citizens who, despite never having a positive coronavirus test, are reported unrelated recurrent symptoms of migraines, hair loss, GI upset, sometimes lasting for weeks, shingles outbreaks, and autoimmune flare-ups, all related to stress. But sure, let's further add to that. Looking at latent conditions, there's no shortage of studies linking chronic stress to latent conditions either, only to be revealed in the years to come. Heart disease, muscle tension, GI upset, and hippocampus shrinkage, which is responsible for memory and learning in your brain, all of these will inevitably play into one of those, have you or a loved one ever been diagnosed with mesothelioma? If so, you may be entitled to financial compensation. 
it's going to be one of those commercials in the years to come, only it's going to be coronavirus. When we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, Japanese elders stepped up to clear the nuclear fallout in order to sacrifice their strength for that of the younger generations. In our national culture, we refuse to acknowledge the legitimacy of a disease and have elders who make these decisions for us sitting comfortably in their private offices with the ability to control people's lives and subject others to conditions that they wouldn't subject themselves to. That shouldn't be something we just accept as proud Americans. If we knew a gunman would enter campus, even if we knew only a small fraction of that school's population would die, we would never send our teachers back into the classrooms for school that day. And we definitely would not send our children. Why is coronavirus any different?